Hi, my name is Kevin. Hi, my name is Samantha. And we'll be doing a scripture reading for this week. Today's scripture comes from John 10, verses 1 through 18. I am the good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Oh, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends from South Pass, San Gabriel area. This talk this morning about uh, the care of the Good Shepherd. We've been in this uh, aggressive emotional hunt for months uh, trying to figure out who will lead us and what we want that leadership to look like. And it's honestly sort of uh, exposed this incredible dilemma about what it's like to live in the United States of America because we want a leader, but we also don't want a leader. Charles Taylor, uh, 30 years ago, wrote this book called The Sources of the Self. And what he did in the book is he talked about cultures for all time and all languages and all across everywhere have said that the way that you figure out identity and understanding in the world is that you are, for the most part, shaped by your parents, your immediate family and your community. And what they do is they sort of outline values in life for us. And the older we get, we live up into those values and live up into those understandings. And then we get affirmed for that, and that's how we understand our place in this world. But Taylor says, uh, here in the West, we have totally rejected that. 
And we've said, no, 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 no. The way that you find identity and understanding in this world is that you have to look deep in the bottom of your heart. And whatever you find there will tell you who you are and what your place is in this world. But Taylor says, when we do that, when we've gone on this search, it's actually turned the West and us living here in this society, the most fragile people who have ever lived. Because once we find what's in the bottom of our heart, our immediate instinct is that we need to go out into the world and start asking people to affirm what we found deep within us. And anybody who will not affirm what we found, we have to reject them and leave them away. And so what that does is it means our communities are more and more and more kind of creating this echo chamber of life. And the dilemma for us uh, in finding a leader and somebody to care for us is that we can only look within the echo chamber within, within which we're living. And the problem with that is that no one can lead us in the things that we need to be led in because they are found in the very thing that we ourselves are stuck in. And so, man, what, what Christians are called to do today, amongst everything else, is to, in a unique way, remind ourselves that we are to put ourselves under the care of the Good Shepherd, who, whatever you fold in and whatever you believe in, will inevitably come into our life and shepherd us in the way that only healing can provide. So this morning, let's look at the care and the shepherding leadership of Jesus by looking at three things that he gives us. He gives us the, the clarity of his care. He gives us the heart of his care. And then thirdly, he gives us the intimacy in his care. So first of all, let's learn the clarity of his care. Uh, Jesus is very concerned for us at the very beginning of this text with our ability to distinguish between the care of a thief and a robber and the care of the true shepherd. Because what's not up for debate is us to go through life and the church and not be cared for and shepherded by anybody. So he begins his statements this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And then again in verse seven, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now notice that he starts both statements this way. Truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, in the NIV, I think it says, amen, amen. The old King James would say, verily, verily. And that's an ancient Near Eastern Semitic way of a teacher uh, wanting to introduce what he's about to say and connect it to an event that just happened. So what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to clarify how he will care for us from the way that something just happened in chapter nine. And here's what happened in chapter nine. There was a blind man who was healed by Jesus. And when he went back to his community, he was rejected by the teachers of the law on the premise that the healing took place on the Sabbath. And what they do with this man who was weak and wounded and restored is they rejected him and threw him out and left him alone. And what Jesus is trying to do here is to come into that exact situation and warn us about that kind of care being all over the church. And whenever I hear this story or stories like it where people are hurt and wounded by those who are meant to care and shepherd people in the church, I'm always like, why? Like, how does this always keep happening? And it happens because of what Jesus says here. He says, because at times we subject ourselves without knowing to thieves and robbers. 
Now, thieves, the Greek word there is kleptos. Robbers, the Greek word there is lestos. Thief implies deception. Robber implies destruction. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that there is some kind of spiritual care that can come into our lives that we are sure is for healing, but it destroys us through deceptive methods. So that we have to be aware and be able to clarify because sometimes there are things that are running our life that we think are going to heal us, but are actually going to hurt us. Not sure if you have seen uh, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. But what's so uh, fascinating about that is it talks about all of the destructive, hurtful methods and effects that social media is having on our lives. And what they point out is that we go to uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, these things, because we're sure they're going to improve our lives. They're going to improve our job. They're going to improve our social status. They're going to improve our relationships. And they say they're having all sorts of effects on us that we may or may not be aware of. And they try to point this out through this kind of question for us. They say, you know, these companies like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they're making billions and you and I pay nothing for that. And so they sort of ask, where do you think that that money comes from? And then they have this chilling line that says, listen, if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. You are not consuming any of it. It is consuming you. And what that documentary is pointing out, and Jesus is trying to emphasize here, is that we have the tendency to subject ourselves to, think, to things that we don't even know are shepherding our souls, and they're shepherding us in a way that's hurting us. And Jesus desperately wants us to become aware of that and to be able to clarify that from the care that he wants to give it. Jesus gives us uh, three litmus tests here to help clarify this dilemma for us between a thief and a robber. He gives us the test of the message, the test of the fruit, and the test of the motivation. And they diminish in subtlety with each test. I mean, A, the test of the message. When Jesus has this metaphor throughout where he talks about the sheep pen, and he says there's two ways into the sheep pen. One is through the door, which he calls himself. And then he says there's another way in. And the other way in, he's talking about the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, what's important to know is how subtle uh, their, their teaching was that Jesus is going after here. Because the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they did not go, hey, like, Christianity is not true. God is not real. Uh, don't give your life to anything like this. No, what they did is they taught the scriptures. They memorized the scriptures. They admonished people with the scriptures. But they did so in a way that was so subtle and peripheral to what Jesus was about that it made them thieves and robbers. See, what they did is they talked about the salvation that God was going to give as peripheral to the other things that were very important. So what the message of a thief and a robber will be is it sometimes will talk about Jesus. It will expound even a need for Jesus, but it will always be secondary and peripheral to the supremacy of Jesus. See, what Jesus says here is, uh, I am the door. And so the message of the true shepherd is when you hear that when you're hearing over and over again how central and full salvation is by grace only through Jesus. 
that we come into the Christian life through Jesus, we stay in the Christian life through Jesus, and we're persevered in the Christian life through Jesus. And what the message of a thief and a robber will do is it will sometimes talk about Jesus, but that's just a means to the other end. And, you know, practically what this can look like sometimes is just hearing things that subtly sound like this. My acceptance is dependent on my obedience. And when you're hearing messages like that of a thief and a robber, you know what it will do is as religious as it may sound, it will only make you a product of this world. But the messages of the true shepherd, what they will begin to over and over and over make you do is they will draw you into the son of a carpenter who did everything for you, was full of humility, and picked up a cross. But the second test begins to become less subtle because Jesus says there's fruit of those messages, which makes it more and more distinct. He says the fruit of the messages of a thief and robber will be, verse 10, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is, the messages of uh, thieves and robbers, what they will do is they will turn us into what Dallas Willard called condemnation engineers. We will begin to look at ourselves and other people, and we will uh, we will steal our assurance. We will uh, kill any freedom, and we will destroy all possibility of, Christ- of Christian joy. And we will look for every opportunity to do this both to ourselves and other people. But Jesus says, listen, my message produces such a different life because I came to give life and life to the fullest. In fact, in verse 9 before that, he says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Almost every commentator says that that verse is an overture to Psalm 23. And what Jesus is sort of saying there is, look, through me, I will begin to take the pressure off of life. That in me, you will always find assurance. I will give you the true freedom of life. And I will give you joy and joy to an abundant measure that you will not find anywhere else. See, if you're struggling with anxiety right now, you know what you're probably doing is in some ways you're you're letting a thief and a robber message shepherd your soul. And that's the fruit of it. Because what thieves and robbers will tell us is that like right now is the most important, significant thing going on in your life. And you better Pay attention to it, change it, and get involved in it. And that will always threaten assurance. It will never give you freedom, and it will rob any kind of joy. But look, what the fruit of the, the good shepherd is, um, is it frees you up. It takes the pressure off of life to remember what is most significant for us. And, you know, it, Mother Teresa used to go around telling people, who had the most important, significant jobs in the world, that you know what your job is? Your job right now in this moment, in this day, is to know how much God loves you. And look, when you begin to think about that and meditate on that, that that's my, that's the most important thing in my life right now. You know what begins to happen? All of the things that you think are important and significant in this moment, in this life, in this hour, in this day, their significance begins to bleed and fade away because you realize like all of my pursuits of those things, they're just stealing any assurance I have in this life. They're killing my freedom and they're stealing and they're destroying all kinds of joy. But if you're in the message of the good shepherd, the fruit of it is that you'll be able to go in and out. And that means the mundane life 
for us in Christ will become the good life because we'll just be focused on what truly matters, and that's how much he loves us. But the last test is, is by far the least subtle one. It's the motivation. See, what a thief and a robber will do is uh, he will be most concerned with getting assurance from you that the world loves him. And what the true shepherd will be is he will make sure that you are assured that God loves you. And you can know the difference between those two in the midst of a crisis. Because what Jesus says in the midst of a crisis, the thief and the robber, they will run. They will disperse. They will leave us because care for you is always more costly to the person who's caring than to the person who's receiving it. And then the moment it's actually costly to a false shepherd, they will leave. But the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the people who really care for you, you know that it's from Jesus because when it's a costly crisis, they will put themselves in harm's way so that you can always feel the love of God. And what Jesus is trying to clarify for us is that there is a distinct voice that he has as the good shepherd. And I, I want to illustrate this for you real quick through this little one minute video. Watch this to begin to understand the power of the unique voice. See, hopefully what you can gather from that is that the shepherd, the true shepherd, has a distinct voice that calls his sheep home. And you, you want to know what that distinct voice that Jesus wants you to clarify amongst all our other voices is that Jesus came to redeem and free sinners by grace and grace alone. That's his voice. That's what he wants to be the resounding voice that you hear over and over and over again. And you can clarify that with all other voices that want to come in and influence your life. Now, let me apply this in two quick ways. Uh, for some of us, um, we have heard the other voice and been wounded by the church. And it's actually the most resounding, difficult thing to get over with embracing Christianity. And if that's happened to you or it's happened to somebody you know, I would really plead with you, don't throw out this faith and encourage them to not throw out the Christian faith uh, because of somebody misrepresented Jesus. In the same way, we shouldn't get rid of classical music because some seven-year-old is at his orchestra lesson destroyed Bach. No, no, no. Like, you can be assured from this text that, look, if you're angry, because you have experienced the care of a thief and a robber. Listen, Jesus is more angry. And he allows your anger and shares your anger and will actually beat you 
before your anger can get out because he is more critical on those who misrepresent him than we ever will be. But the other half of us, let me apply us this way. Look, if you are, especially in a shepherding situation, in a church, in this church, or in your family or something like that, it is incumbent upon you to reflect the voice of the Good Shepherd. That look, his, his message is gentle and lowly, and it is not burdensome. And the fruit of that is to remove pressure in our life. And the true motivation behind all of that is, is not for our own sake, but it is for the sake of others, having the burden removed and knowing the love of God. It is incumbent upon us to clarify that wherever we are shepherding today. That's the clarity of his care that Jesus wants us to make widely known. The second thing that Jesus wants us to know here is the heart of his care. And we learn the heart of his care in the seminal statement that he makes in verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd. There he's using language that God used when he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses says, who should I tell Pharaoh uh, that sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. So Jesus is picking up on that language to identify who he's going to be for his people. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And how do we know he's good? Because he says in the next phrase, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says, if you want to know the heart of my care, it's that I am a shepherd who lays down his life for people who often don't want me, don't know how to receive me. Uh, when they're mine, they often resist my care. They don't know how to receive my care or stay in my care. And he even are confused and will walk away from my care at times. And he says, for those people, I lay down my life for them. And where does he lay his life down? He lays his life down at the cross. Jesus is, is sort of telling us here, you want to know the heart of my care. Study my cross and my atonement. Remember when people hurled insults at me and laughed at me and mocked me. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, that's the heart of what my care for my people will always be like. John Calvin commenting on this text, he says, our salvation is dearer to Jesus than his own life. For people who often want nothing to do with him or don't know how to handle him, being his is more precious to him than anything. You know, one of the places that this became so vivid for me was about three years ago when I saw that movie, uh, A Quiet Place. Do you remember that with John Krasinski? Where he and his family are living in a post-apocalyptic world where aliens are hunting them and, and killing them. And uh, it takes place I know, in 2020, no joke. And uh, one of the tensions of that movie is John Krasinski's relationship with his daughter. Because as they're trying to navigate this world, uh, his daughter struggles to think her father loves her. Uh, she's deaf. He uh, makes attempts to build her an earpiece, and each time he does, she gets frustrated and thinks he doesn't care. Um, she even runs away, thinking that she's not wanted in the family. And towards uh, the end of the movie, when she and her brother are stuck up on a silo, uh, they're worried what's going to happen to them, and the boy says, you know what, Dad will come for us. And she says, he will, he'll come for you, but he will not come for me. 
But then in the climax of the movie, um, the children are stuck in a truck and aliens are attacking the truck and, and they think they're going to die. And John Krasinski comes to the rescue and he sees his children stuck in a truck, you know, wondering what's going to happen to them. And he realizes what, what must be done. And so right before he attempts to say them, he makes eye contact with his daughter, the one who thought he didn't love her, who had done everything she could almost to resist his love. He looks right at her and he just signs. He says, I love you. He says, I have always loved you. And then with all of his might, he screams out to draw the aliens towards himself, to sacrifice himself so his children can get away. Earlier in the movie, Emily Blunt, his wife, had asked, who are we if we can't protect our children? And, and in that movie, what John Krasinski is trying to say to the audience, he says, you know who I am? Here's who I am. I'm a father who lays down my life for my children, even the children who don't think I would ever lay my life down for them. And friends, that, that is exactly how Jesus wants us to think about the heart of his care. See, whether or not you think you are worthy of that, whether or not you think you have received that well, whether or not you even know how to live into that, Jesus wants you to know that the heart of his care for you is to lay down his life before you ever begin to know how to receive that. And no matter if you've been receiving that well or this has been something that you sing every week, that's the same heart for all of us. John Owen once said about this text, there is not the meanest, the weakest, or poorest believer on earth. To those that think of themselves that way, Jesus prizes them more than his own life. Do you, do you know that kind of care? That's the heart of Jesus' care. And if we will receive that, you know what that will do? It will do a couple things for us. It will A, it will give us assurance. Because when Jesus lays down his life for us, what he's doing is he's putting himself in our place. We're learning here about the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. That is, all of us should have been uh, people who gave ourselves fully to God and loved our neighbors fully. But not knowing how to do that and, not, and, and failing tremendously, Jesus doesn't look at us and say, get your stuff back together and then I'll receive you. He comes in the midst of all of our sheepness and lays down his life for us to be our ransom so that he pays the penalty for all of our sheepness so that we can know that the promise that no one that God can no one can snatch us out of God's hand is absolutely true and every time we're afraid that something in this world is yanking us out of God's hand we can point back to the good shepherd who laid down his life for us and know we have full assurance that we are his and we know the heart of his care will never ever change and A, it's not just assurance. B, it's actually vision for life. Jesus says this in verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. I mean, Jesus here has uh, this vision of a worldwide community of needy people across languages, across tongues, across cultures, across economic races, across thousands of political beliefs. He has this vision of people who will finally, finally let him care for them. And, and you know what? This is actually one of the most beautiful apologetics to me of the entire Christian faith. That we can live in a world and know you don't speak my language. You look 
totally different from me. You live no part of economic life like me. We believe almost everything politically different, but we both are needy. And when we hear Jesus say that he is a good shepherd for us, we desperately want to receive that care. And, and the heart of his care, what it, will, what it will do for us is it will unite the world. Look, the world can come together around this song because the world has been coming together around this song. And it won't just unite the world, it actually will unite heaven to this world. Because look what he says in verse 17. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. The father's love for Jesus is, is given a reason here. The father loves Jesus because he lays his life down for needy people who need him. Because Jesus laying his life down gave the father the greatest gift. Sheep. Unspiritual, broken people like you and me. You know what this means? It means Jesus' cross and resurrection means as much to the father as it does us. And it's the song that he sings. The father sings and is delighting over the gospel. And the heart of Jesus' care, what it does is it secures us and it brings the world together and it will bring heaven together. And it means this, friends, in this divided world, what our divided world needs more than anything is for the church to begin to sing one song and stand in it and live in it. And that's the heart of Jesus' care. Listen, may they know us about one thing. Know one thing about Christianity in 2020 and going forward in 2021. And that the heart of Jesus' care is that we are sheep who need a good shepherd who promised to lay his life down for us. And we can keep singing that song. That is the heart, secondly, of Jesus' care. Thirdly and lastly, Jesus wants us to know the intimacy in his care. He wants us to know that his care for us is deeply personal. That's why he tells us in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. As he's not just going to know us uh, as just people who go to church. He's not just going to know us as Christians. He's not just going to know us uh, in these like abstract corporate ways. He, he will know us on an intimate, personal level because how intimate will it be? He says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says, look, 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 the way there is Trinitarian eternal intimacy, an intimacy and covenant and promise not known in any relationship in this world. He says, my people will be known by me at that level. I'll know everything about them. I'll know everything they feel. I'll know everything they want. I'll know everything they need the way the Father knows everything about me. I'll know it. And you know when he knows that and will learn that and most think about this, he says it at the end of this verse, as I lay down my life for the sheep. This is astonishing. As Jesus is laying his life down for us, he will know us the same way the Father knows him. He's saying on, on the cross, in the moment of crisis, Jesus would think about our pain. He would think about our stories. He would think about our fears. He would think about our longings. And he would think about our names. And he would, he would want to address us. 
my child, do you know how much I love you? There's a singer-songwriter who had a child die because his other child backed up the car and hit him. And as they were about to take that child to the hospital to see if anything could be done, if, see if he could be saved, the father paused and realized, I'm not just about to lose one child, I'm about to lose two children right here. So he paused and went over to his other son who was in, in a frantic array of just losing it. And he grabbed him and he looked him in the eye and he said, Will, I want you to know one thing. Your father loves you. Listen, what Jesus is trying to teach us here about the intimacy in his care is when, when we think about him dying for our sins, it's not just this abstract, like uh, he, Jesus died for sins. It's that the deepest part of your story that you're afraid of, that you hurt about, that you don't know how to deal with. That's what Jesus thought on the cross. That's what he was going through. And that's what he was beginning to know about us in the way that the father knows him. See, if Jesus is just a teacher and he's just a theologian, then, then we can only know him and he can only know us to the degree that we deserve it. See, he can only know us to the degree that we are faithful and can pursue it. But see, when you become a Christian, God intimately and safely knows you the way that Jesus talks about uniquely being known here by the Father. See, only the Father could really know how faithful Jesus was. And only the Father knows how much anguish he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, struggling with the fear of the cup. And only the Father knows how lonely the cross was and what it was like to be abandoned by everybody and even God himself. And only the Father knows about how faithful and how much Jesus achieved. And only the Father can know about how accepted Jesus was and how cherished he was at the throne room and how received he was and how, how much of a crown he received and how loud the angels sung when he ascended back into the throne room. Only the Father knows that. But Jesus is telling us here in this text that when you become a Christian, no matter where you are and what you're doing today, God will know you in the exact same way. And even in your worst of times, he will know you that way. So that John could say in chapter 13, he loved his own to the end. John Bunyan talking about this very doctrine of Jesus' knowledge of us one time. He said this, his heart is set towards us, not like an arrow shot too quickly that falls to the ground before its target. It is like an avalanche that grows in momentum and a fire that spreads. With, man, with, and with that kind of love, Jesus, he says this in verse three, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. But that kind of avalanche of love, it, it is applied personally and intimately, intimately, without any discrimination. Do you, do you know the intimacy of that care? Let Jesus love you that way. Who, going forward in 2020 and 2021, who will lead you and love you that way?
I'll tell you who will. Jesus will. And he is the good shepherd. Amen.